Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for All Things Evangelism Podcast. I'm here today with a good friend and ministry colleague, Norman Herlow, who happens to be the pastor of the Gateway Seventh-day Adventist Church. For those of you guys who don't know, Gateway, it's on the campus of Avondale School in Coranbaum, New South Wales. Um, thanks for uh, joining me, Norm. It's, it's good to, to be able to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting to get you on for quite some time. Awesome, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity and excited to have this conversation and talk about all things evangelism. That's it. Hey, and um, our topic today is making disciples. And there's so much we could talk about. I'm super yeah. excited to get into it with you. But before we do, bro, um, you you have kind of a discipleship journey into faith, right? Like you, you actually yep. coming to faith went to like a discipleship program. In South yep. Africa, right? Yep. What was it called? Tell us about it. Abundant Life. So, okay. Abundant Life, based on, I guess, John 10 10. I've come that you may have life, life to the full, or life abundantly. Mm. And it started as a missionary movement, a, a young, a movement of young people who were keen to see young people impacted and grow in their faith in South Africa and then minister in their local churches in an effective and creative way. Mm -hmm. And so they started this ministry, looked at some other evangelistic um, programs or mission schools. Um, like I think it was Louis Torres, the one he runs mission college. Yes. Um, they looked at some of what they were doing, looked at some others around the world, came to Australia actually and followed the touring bus, um, I can't remember what it was called now. It was run by the South Queensland Conference. Okay. And I think North New South Wales Conference. It'll come to me as we as we keep going through the conversation. But they came and looked at what they were doing in the creative arts space um, and then went back to South Africa and started this ministry. Oh, that's cool. Um, and the goal of this discipleship school was yeah to equip and to train young people to become effective missionaries um in south africa and wherever they go around the world yeah. and to support the local churches but I'd, I'd love to share my journey there matt but i want to start even before that yeah. because if i if i reflect on it my discipleship journey actually started in my family of origin born into a adventist christian home parents who were um, committed followers of Jesus, who served in our local church. And um, every week we were inviting people back to our house to um, for, for fellowship, for connection, for community. Every other day, it was, pro it was probably not every day, but every other day we'd have family worship in our home. Mm -hmm. And I remember with fond memories, Friday nights, standing around the the piano, my dad playing the piano, and all of us singing along, just worshiping God. Mm. And so when I think of my discipleship journey, that's really where it started. It started in the home. And, um, and then seeing my parents live out their faith in a real practical, tangible way. But then after finishing school, I went to a um, Adventist high school in New Zealand when my family moved over from South Africa. And after finishing high school, 
I decided to go and join this missionary group called Abundant Life, um, largely because I got my applications for med school in too late. And so <laughs> I, had, I, hadn't, I hadn't made it into that round of uh, uh, university entrance. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll take a gap year. I'll go and join this missionary school. And some of my friends were doing it. And they said, hey, bro, come along. You're going to love it. And so initially it was like, hey, we're going to go, you know, have a party in South Africa, tour around the country with my friends. Yay, it's going to be awesome. Um, but one thing that I noticed before heading there was a lot of my friends in high school who also came from a Christian background, but who were walking away from their faith and deciding that after they left school and became independent, they were going to go, I guess, choose their own course and walk away from their faith of their family. And it got me asking the question, when or how does it happen? How do we help young people um, transition from their faith being just something that happens in the family home while they're under the family roof or while they taken to church by their parents to a faith that is their own, that they've actually wrestled with, um, intentionally engage in and build that relationship and that journey, that discipleship journey with Christ. Um, Where does that happen? How does that happen? Um, So, yeah, for me, it started in my, in my family. And there was a, a key point in my, in my story while I was still at school, where I remember was late at night sitting in, the dorm room with um, two Asian friends. They were from Taiwan, Rex and Andy. And we were, we were eating noodles as you do. And uh, just out of the blue, they were there to learn English. Um, But of course in an Adventist boarding school, they had to go to church on, on Sabbaths um, with the rest of the boarding students. But just out of the blue, while we're eating noodles, they said to me, so Norman, do you really believe all this stuff, all this, you know, stuff about God and faith and, and church? And when I look back now, I think it was because I thought the answer that I wanted to give would not be cool in front of them. Right. So the answer I gave was, nah, I don't really believe it. <laughs> all right. And I couldn't sleep that night. I um I lay in bed just haunted by the fact that was this a great opportunity to actually passionately share about the faith that I grew up in and that if I internally I actually believed but because of the the peer pressure or the sense that it wouldn't be cool yeah I just gave I just said no and I lay there unable to sleep and I had to confront the question myself, what do I believe? What do I actually stand for? And and if, if I can't answer that question, then why not? Have I investigated and done the, the search, the journey for myself? And so that's what started my pathway into, I guess, transitioning my faith from being one that was in my family household to a faith of my own. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I found myself at Abundant Life. And at this mission school, one of the things they do in the sort of orientation period, you can imagine, and I, I know you'll know this with the rise, you get a bunch of young people from all over the world and from all different parts of the country, from all different um, family contexts, and you put them together, there can be some interesting dynamics and a lot of egos, attitudes, um, different views on how or what should happen. And so the way this um, Abundant Life decided or saw best to manage that was a bit of an orientation time where they intentionally put the group under stress. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what we do is we'd go out for a, an extensive hike. We'd get out into nature and, uh, and one that would definitely strain most people. <laughs> so, and you had limited resource, you had, um, limited clothes. The, <laughs> the, the elements were often quite harsh. Um, and so very quickly you had to learn to, depend on each other in the team. One of the other things that they would do is that right in the first day, they would say, hey, everyone, go and find a rock, one that you think characterizes you. Okay. So now you can imagine everyone runs away, goes and finds a rock. All the strong guys, you know, they find the biggest <laughs> rock they can and they, they, they bring it back. And then what they tell you is, okay, this rock symbolizes your attitude or your selfish nature. Okay. <laughs> so you need to carry it around with you because it's part of you. And wherever you go, whatever you do, if we call you for anything to, you know, line up, get ready. If we're going on the hike, this rock needs to be with you. At any time we can come to you and you need to be able to <laughs> show it to us. Where's your rock, Where's your rock buddy? <laughs> Where's your rock? Yeah. Um, and the whole, what this was illustrating and pointing out, and you'll see why I'm sharing it um, soon, but yeah. was that each of any, you know, everyone came to this experience with their own perceptions, views, ideas, and attitudes and egos. And we often aren't aware of them. And so this sort of externalization of that was going, okay, here's, here's something that can symbolize that. Um, and at some point in the hike, it's when we get right to the top of the mountain where we're, where we're going, um, by this time we are begging them to be able to let go of this, <laughs> this rock, this burden, this heavy burden that we're carrying. And so right at the top of the mountain, they have this little ceremony where you're saying goodbye to self because this rock symbolizes your own selfish nature, your sinful nature, um, your ego. And where ultimately they say, look, in this journey of following and this journey of being a missional disciple for Christ, mm -hmm. you need to let go and set or put to death, as Paul would say, yes, your selfish nature. Or as Jesus would say, you need to deny yourself and take up the cross um, to follow him. And so right there at the top of this mountain, we have this little ceremony where 
we then lay down our selfish natures, our egos, um, for the sake of the mission. And it's, I'll never forget it because as you're carrying it around, it is a heavy and tiring burden. Um, and it reminds me of Jesus words where he says, you know, come to me, all who are heavy burden (laughs) and heavy laden. Yes. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And looking back, you see in the Old Testament, the most, the metaphor most commonly used for sin is a heavy burden. And here Jesus is, is inviting us. Let's, let's set it down. Let's set it aside. Yeah. Um, That's good. For the, for the sake of my cause, because it is going to hinder you. It is going to stand in your way. The other thing that um, they did in on this hike, um, this many in, in this day and age will probably deem inappropriate, but at the at the bottom of the mountain, they um, emptied all our water bottles. Okay. And now, now this is in the African sun, in the middle of summer. <laughs> it is. How'd they get the, you know, it's funny because I can imagine them getting your water bottle off. You're like, hey, can I have a drink of your water? Yeah, sure. Here yeah. you go. Pour out. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, here we go up the mountain. And already we're, 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 we're panicking because we realize this, this isn't a good situation. <laughs> um, and they, they've obviously planned and, and, and thought through this and they know what's coming. We don't know what's coming. Um, but you get to kind of the the third plateau or or the third contour of the mountain. And by this time, you know, it's the middle of the day, it's 40 plus degrees. You've sweated out all the, all the liquid you had in your body. You're absolutely dehydrated. You're still looking and the the mountain peak is high above you. You realize there's no way you're going to make it. And everyone is just absolutely thirsty. And the, the leader, Heino, he sits down and he opens the Bible and he starts reading from Psalm and says, you know, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, Lord. And then he asks us awesome. the question, <laughs> yeah, how desperate are you for water right now? You know, and everyone, yeah. they can they can describe with vivid detail their, their desperate desire for water. Mm. And then ask, okay, is that how much you're desiring God and the spirit of God in your life? Then what we don't know is that just probably 10 meters from that spot, there's a underground spring of living water that flows up. It's, it's a weird phenomena that kind of comes up out of the rock near the top, near the top of this mountain. And it's just cold clear it, the taste is indescribable it might be because we're so dehydrated <laughs> at that point but then you know he says come drink of me for i have living water the water and he reads from you know john 4 when jesus is talking to the woman at the well yeah ask of me and awesome. i'll give you living water and then from within you a spring of living water will flow that will never never run dry so yeah um, it, it just you're making everyone want to go to abundant life 
in Southern Africa. <laughs> what a what a powerful experience, hey! Because they're in in that they're they're he's bringing you in, yeah, so that you physically feel what what the Word of God is teaching. That's exactly it. It was it with it's like it, it correlates like these abstract yeah. concepts that you're reading about in Scripture. They're being made physically real to you by what they were you know yeah. getting you to do yeah awesome and so all the way that's exactly it it was taking the bible from being this this document or words on a page written thousands of years ago into our lived experience at the time where suddenly you know we could we could taste that living water and we could we were desperate to put aside this heavy burden that we had been journeying with. And, and while, yeah. And so it took what our spiritual metaphors and externalized them in the physical world, which meant that we could actually apply and see how it applied in our, in our spiritual journey, our spiritual life as well. And that, that really is to a great extent, what discipleship that's discipleship. That's, it's, it's, uh, I've heard someone say that discipleship, the root word in, with, uh, not the root word, but they've said discipleship involves discipline and not discipline in the punitive sense, but in the molding shaping sense. Yeah. So it's the forming and shaping of a person through bringing them through a course or through a path or through a journey. So that we talk about things like a discipleship pathway or a discipleship journey. Yeah. And Jesus called his disciples and said, follow me and I'll make you, you know, I'll disciple you, I'll train you, I'll form you, I'll fashion you if you follow me. So you're going to follow me, you're going to go on this journey, you're going to follow this path. And that path, that journey is going to provide for you circumstances, situations that are going to shape you and mold you and make God's word not just abstract and, you know, yeah, it's the real, but like tangible and real, and it's and you're going to experience it. You're going to be in it. So yeah, the yeah. next the next part of that I want to because this is also where it's sort of transition for me. Yep. Um, so all those experiences made it tangible, made it applicable. We could see, okay, this is what I want and desire and need in my life. Then we'd we'd get to a wilderness retreat. So our hike would eventually take us to a destination, which was sort of a wilderness retreat. And the next phase of our learning and journey would be there for two weeks out in nature. Um, But one of the requirements was that every morning we had to take only our Bible and go and find a spot in nature where we couldn't see any other human being. And we weren't to have any other human contact. We were just to sit with our Bible for three hours from 5 a.m. Breakfast was at 8, from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. And, you know, initially when they said to us, this is what you need to do, we were all like, oh, three hours. What, right. you know, what are we going to do? For, can't, I, can't I just sleep, you know? can't we do two hours and, and get an extra hour of sleep? And, but then, so the first day I went out, I remember clearly I, f- I found a spot next to a little stream because I need, I need 
moving things and, and, and activity to keep me engaged. You know, that's how I was, I was thinking. And I thought, man, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to just sit here and read the Bible for that long. And, and so I, I made some boats and, you know, some sticks and leaves and floated them down the road <laughs> and, and was, was doing a bunch of other things. After about an hour and a half, I thought, oh, might as well open up, open up the Bible and start reading. And I started reading the story of Gideon in, in, in Judges. And um, well, I think they might have actually said, hey, look, let's, let's, when you're out there, go read the story of Gideon. And yeah, just started loving the story. And so I carried on from the story of Gideon, started reading. Eventually, after three days, I'd sort of read through Judges and started getting into some of the, the other books around it, like Joshua. And what, what you found was suddenly, as you started engaging with the Bible and with the, the written word and the story of God with humanity, mm. um, when you sat and engaged with it long enough, suddenly the story started forming this comprehensive picture and you started to fit different things and pieces that you'd heard along throughout your life and from sermons, you started to find a place to to put them and anchor them in the story. And, and suddenly it started coming alive. And and where everyone you talk to from Abundant Life, at the end of the year, when they share what is the thing you appreciated most about Abundant Life, most often they refer to the three hours in the morning that they could just go and sit and read and engage with the Word of God. Um, because as we went on in the year, that time was cut a little bit shorter. And then eventually after you graduate and you go on tour, you take responsibility for that time. It's not a mandate of the, you know, from the leaders mm -hmm. and many people do still, you know, take the time, but as often happens in life, some, you know, their time gets busy with other things, but when they reflect and look back, they realize, man, that was actually the place and space where I grew and connected. And for me, that is where this real living, vibrant relationship with God sort of grew out of, mm -hmm. where now it became something that I yearned for and desired and, you know, spoke and encountered God in those moments. And it became real for my life and not just for my family of origin, but now this was a faith that, I was pursuing that I loved and cherished and wanted more of. Yeah. So man, that's heavy. So just, we're talking about your disciple, your journey, my journey. Yeah. And you were discipled by your, by your father and your mom in your home. Yeah. And as a young guy decided to go to this discipleship training program where they intentionally brought young people out, to train them to live the Christ life yeah. and he, living epistles and missionaries wherever they go. Um, how has that translated into your ministry now? Cause, and, and, and what, you know, I guess, I, I guess I'll just leave it at that. Like what, yeah. how does that translate so, now? And, and what, what impact does that have now on your ministry? One, one more piece of this puzzle yep. um, or for me in my journey, then the group leader, Heino, um, he was a pastor as well as he served in some churches as well as running this discipleship school. Mm -hmm. He then, um, 
the group chose me to be their leader. And so I'd have daily meetings with, with Heino looking at some of the leadership aspects in the group. But then he started inviting me to join him when he was going to do pastoral visitations, when he was going to do evangelistic seminars at the church a few hours away, when he was going to, and he started inviting me into his leadership, his ministry, um, and just inviting me to do life with him. And that is where probably the desire or the thought that, hey, maybe this is a pathway I'd like to pursue of full-time ministry um, and pastoral ministry sort of started started growing and, and germinating because I'd, I'd planned to go and be a doctor. I love the sciences. I still love the sciences. Um, I love maths. That was I was going to be doing something in the science maths um, space. Yeah. And then but then as he invited me into his everyday life and just doing life with him and doing ministry with him, because um, then as we drive places, you know, he'd talk, he'd share, we'd, I'd ask questions, he'd, he'd open up about some things in his life. And he was very, yeah, he, he invited me into that space of ministry and leadership. And so I got to see what it looked like and got a, a got to journey with the master, if you will. <laughs> for for a season, which is what discipleship is. It's following the rabbi, following the master. And, and as we see it in the first century context, doing life with your teacher, your rabbi. And that's what Jesus invited the disciples into. Yep, it's a, it's a growth journey. It's a growth process. But often that growth happens in relationship as you do life with your teacher, your, and so I, I look back at that and go, wow, that was a real privilege. And it's really what led me into full-time ministry. And it's some of those aspects that I try and apply in my ministry um, today, where I'm looking for opportunities. Where can I bring some of the young people along with me, invite them into some of those leadership spaces? How do I journey with them to a meeting at the conference office or um, a Bible study that I'm going to give, invite them along to have those conversations along the way? How do I facilitate moments that can be teachable moments where it can take some of these spiritual applications from the Bible, bring them into real life and everyday life where, you know, being intentional about one, trying to facilitate those or just be aware of them because often they happen in everyday life and it's just pausing to go, hey, do you appreciate what happened here? Because this is what Jesus spoke about when he said this or this is what Paul was referring to when he, and look at how it has happened and it is God, the Spirit has orchestrated it in our journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, yeah. it's interesting. I'm going to interject here because this brings yeah. up a thought to me that I, I've bounced back and forth in my head as somebody who came to faith through a discipleship training program, similar to abundant life and someone who's been involved with it since I've been following Christ, either teaching in programs that exist to train and equip 
members or whether it's running them. And uh, is 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 this idea that it's, it's, it's this idea that the Holy Spirit is Jesus's replacement on earth. Jesus says in John 14, you know, if I go, I'll send another comforter. I'll send, I'm the first, I'm your comforter. He's saying to the disciples, but I'm going to send someone to take my place and will fulfill in your life, the role that I'm filling now, you know, or fill your yeah. the role that I'm filling now in your life. And that's the Holy spirit. That's the person of the Holy spirit. The third person of the Godhead is going to come and he's going to guide you the way I guided you. He's going to teach you the way I taught you. He's going to comfort you the way I comforted you. He's going to empower you the way I've empowered you. He's going to do for you what I've been doing for you. And according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working with all people on earth right now. The Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the sons of God. In Romans 8, 16, and Jesus says the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So these are statements that indicate the Holy Spirit's working universally all over the world with everybody so when a person begins to follow that spirit they're going on a discipleship journey with jesus christ and i i wonder how much do we as individual people take upon ourselves the responsibility to be jesus because we're the body of christ and the holy spirit's in us and so we're called to make disciples but ultimately i'm not the discipler the holy spirit is and I'm so I, I balance in my mind. I go back and forth. You know, I, I don't want to say go back and forth between two opposing ideas because these ideas aren't opposing; they're complementary. But on one side of my head, I think we need to take responsibility for people, just like Jesus. He said, "Make disciples," and let's do what He did for people. Let's call them, let's train them. But I, I'm going to take responsibility for you. You're a newborn babe in Christ. I'm going to help train you and develop you and whatever. But then on the other side, opposite side of that, I think. But wait, you got to balance that thought out with the fact that ultimately, you're just the tool of the spirit and our job is to create a context in which the spirit can do the discipling. And we need to always make sure that people realize you're being discipled by the Holy spirit. And I'm just a human agent here. You know what I mean? It's so hard to keep that balance and stuff, but um, it's something I think about. I love that thought. And I, I agree with you. There's, there's a bit of a, a tension there, if you will, but I love what Paul says when he says, Hey, follow me or imitate me as I follow Christ. In other words, he's inviting people. Yeah. I'm going to take on that responsibility of discipling. So follow me, but, but realize <laughs> it's in my capacity of following Jesus that I'm inviting you to do that. Mm-hmm. And so what ultimately I'm wanting to do is connect you to following Jesus too, as you being led by the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. But I might be one or two steps in the journey um, well, I might've experienced certain things in this journey that could help you, but, and so, yeah, follow me, but understand that we're following Jesus. And, yeah. and on that as well, the, the sense that what I've learned in my journey of, of ministry and discipleship is that it's, it's not a linear process. Um, while we can have steps and while we do have, you know, things we invite people to move through, um, because it's a function of the Holy Spirit to lead people into all truth, mm-hmm. we, as you say, facilitate the environment for that to happen. It happens for different people at different times, at different seasons, and in different ways. Um, and so 
I've sometimes been caught in the sense or in the trap that, hey, this needs to be a linear journey for someone. Why are, are they not tracking the same way I did in my journey, in my process? Why are they not, um, why is everyone I'm studying with in this Bible study group not, you know, not landing at the same place when we get to a certain teaching or a certain understanding? It is helpful, as you say, to step it out for people so that, and facilitate those environments so that it's accessible and people know, okay, here's the next thing I need to do. This is what we've done in the local church context where um, there's kind of four key areas in the discipleship journey that a number of authors and a number of writers on the topic have identified and they use different language to describe it. But the key for me is one, people's understanding of God, their picture of God, who God is. That's kind of the first journey into this discipleship process and is often a barrier for people to start that journey with God or that journey to follow Jesus because they have the wrong picture of God. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of where our, our teaching, our we facilitate a conversation around that um, for people. Then the next step is understanding the gospel. Mm -hmm. So once you have a, a a good picture of God that he's a loving, compassionate God, but who is just and holy and, and true. But his love led to him sending his son. And then the good news of that we are freed from our condemnation or from the condemnation of sin. Um, so the gospel is kind of that next step or that next space that really helps them sort of lean into into this journey with God then the next step after that is growing in Christ okay so now that I understand that God who God is and I realize what he's done now I start growing and taking taking on his teachings um, in my life and this this we see in in the Great Commission where Jesus said to his disciples to his followers, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's that picture of God teaching them to observe all I've commanded. So there's that there's that growth, that understanding, that obedience aspect of of discipleship as well. And then he says to them, you know, go into all the world and be my witnesses. Um, mm -hmm. And so after that, that growth, there's the mission aspect, the being led by the spirit and sent out by the spirit. So the four, the four aspects that we journey with people through intentionally and on sort of a path or a track is your picture of God, your understanding of the gospel, your growing in Christ and his, what he is teaching you in life. Mm -hmm. And then you're going out on mission for Christ. And so words that we use to, or, so it's discovery or no, it's wonder that the picture of God creates this sense of wonder. Wow. Isn't God awesome? Then discovery, these aha moments when we encounter the gospel um, and then passion as you grow in, in Christ that, it's sort of 
unearth the passion that you have for you know different parts of the kingdom different parts of um the spiritual life yeah. and then mission where yeah. then the spirit sends you out and so as in the local church i'm always looking at okay where are we teaching what where are we preaching what are we doing that is helping people journey through these processes no way yeah. Dude, it's, it's, it's really good the statement of cain when god asked him about abel is the antithesis of discipleship am i my brother's keeper and i just that, that came to my mind i know that's it's, it's seemingly off track it's not but everything you're describing it communicates people who are going to be willing to take responsibility for other people and their well-being yeah. And they are not going to allow societal structures to keep them from caring enough about others to care enough about how others are doing and, and helping those people as much as is possible on their journey, you know, as pastors, as elders, as local church personal ministries leaders, and just as Christ following church members, all of us are assigned, I think, that task of being our brother's keeper not our brother's master, not their dictator. They're free moral beings. And we always respect people's freedom to choose and to function freely. But we care sufficiently to help them in their development as Christ following believers. And it's like the washing feet. You, you help disciple me. I help disciple you. We're all in this together. But I really think that as in Adventism, um, we're like, I was talking to someone the other day, and saying, I think we are like, they have a saying, saying in America called babies raising babies. And that's when you have a, a person who wasn't parented well, they're from a very dysfunctional, disjointed home, and then they have kids and then the same cycle continues over and over and over. And then you have this generational situation where the whole idea of being taken, someone taking responsibility for your care, it just doesn't even exist. Like it's, it's, it's not, it's foreign. I think in the Adventist church system, to a degree, to an extent, we talk about discipleship. We talk about, because it's catchy, it's trendy. We talk about, uh, no, by the way, I'm not making a summative judgment here and saying the whole church is this way. I'm just expressing what I understand and see in my 20 years of Adventism. A lot is said about discipleship, a lot is said about doing life with other people. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, dirty business of saying, you know, of really in your heart saying, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep this person on track, to help this person, to grow this person. There's not a whole lot of that. There's not a whole, and it's babies having babies. Like no one took care of me when I came in. Why would anyone take care of you? No one, yeah. you know, tried to help me learn the spiritual disciplines of prayer and, you know, and uh, yeah. So that's the last thing I'm going to say, bro, for the sake of time, but um, maybe but, a closing comment in the next minute, 30 seconds. Yeah, I love that, Matt. And it's so true. And it, it links to what we were sharing before that yeah, while we can invite people on the journey, it's the Holy Spirit that facilitates the growth and really um, concretizes truth in people's lives. Um, but the responsibility or the invitation for us to help and care for people in that journey mm -hmm. um, is one that, yeah, if we really took that seriously and the way that this mentor in my life, Heino did, where he invited me into his life, he invited me into his ministry. It wasn't the easiest thing. It would have probably been the easiest just to go on his own. 
but he took the time to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to feed into you. I'm going to invest in you, Norman. And he's done that with so many other leaders. One, one in our conference as well, Quinton Betteridge is, um, who's up at Kingscliff. He's another who's gone through abundant life and been mentored by the same, um, the same individual. And it's messy. It's time consuming, but it is so worthwhile in the journey of connecting people to faith and growing them after the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Discipleship changes the world. And that's why Jesus did it. You know, we're born into Christ, newborn babies and a baby that doesn't get cared for, doesn't grow, doesn't flourish, doesn't uh, learn how to function in a healthy way. And I just, yeah, praise God for your thoughts and, and sharing a bit of your journey. I want to get you on again so we can talk more discipleship, get more specific, more precise and practical. But I think everyone who would have heard this brother is really blessed and church family. Let's, let's concertedly commit to, to taking uh, discipleship and the call to disciple uh, seriously. And um, yeah, you know, we've got this Arise program in our conference and we've, in, we've chosen to invest in people and it's, it's long-term investment. It's a more taxing and challenging investment than just, um, you know, doing the shallow level kind of type of projects and, and whatnot. We do those kinds of things. We do big initiatives and evangelistic campaigns and all this kind of stuff. Like the big show stuff. We do all the big show stuff, but at the same time, we've got to be serious about investing in others and, and pouring ourselves into others and parenting each other spiritually. Yeah. Um, but God bless you, man. And God bless you, everyone, for, for tuning in with us. We look forward to, to, to you joining us next week again for all things evangelism. And uh, I know we're going to have to get you back, Norm because this is a real important conversation to continue. I'd love to. There is more. There's lots more. Uh, so much more. Another time. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, you can, uh, you can find us on Spotify and uh, we encourage you to uh, sign up for this podcast. So you can get reminders weekly and um, yeah, share with a friend. God bless you guys. Take good care. We'll see you soon.